This week on the Autodesk Game Dev Podcast, Matthew chats with Chris Scoobly of Realtime UK about his day-to-day as a cinematics finishing artist. Chris was heavily involved in the creation of cinematics for both World of Tanks, War Stories, and the sci-fi multiplayer game Dreadnoughts. Chris has a lot of great insights into the entire process from start to finish, including working with clients to ensure the cinematic meets their needs. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another Autodesk Game Dev Podcast. This is your host, Matthew Doyle. I'm pleased to have with us today, Chris Scoobly from Realtime UK. And it's a bit of a, a deviation again with the last couple of shows. We have not been interviewing actual game developers, but this time we're going to interview someone who basically creates cinematics for games. And uh, we'll be able to talk with Chris today a lot about his day-to-day role doing cinematics and some of the tools he uses and whatnot. And so I'm really pleased to have Chris with us today. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start off telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into creating CG, and also what you do at Realtime UK. So I'm a senior generalist and VFX artist at Realtime UK. Um, I started out when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, I always liked drawing. I always liked comic books, you know, and uh, uh, playing video games. So this is about uh, 99 when I played StarCraft and ha- it had some amazing cutscenes made by Blizzard Entertainment. And Yeah, um, I remember those. Yeah, it's, it was groundbreaking stuff at the time. So I went online and I, I looked up, like, uh, what do they use? How is that done? You know, and, and I found out it was made using 3D Studio Max 2 at the time. So I was like, okay, so that's how you do it. So then I just looked into getting uh, a hold of 3D Studio Max and playing with that stuff. And it was just years of just messing around with Max, you know, after school and stuff like that. And then eventually I started to do some small commercial work. And, you know, over time, I'm, I got here. Great. And so can you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day at Realtime UK? Like, what is your primary role there? So um, it's usually getting a scene, getting an already built scene from someone. And it's either lighting the scene or rendering it or compositing what I've rendered. So it's usually the end part of the process. It's Mm -hmm. uh, just getting everything ready and finishing it up. So also sometimes doing some effects or integrating someone else's effects integrating someone else's character animation and just making it all sit together all the way to final image. Um, sometimes I'm involved at the start of a project, so sometimes we just do pitches for, for trailers. You know, a company might might say, hey, we're making this video game. Uh, we need some ideas, you know, and yeah. we make some pitches and uh, they'll say, oh, that's great. Well, how much is that going to cost? And then we're like, here's how much it's going to cost. And then make some concepts, make some storyboards, uh, for example, you might have seen our Dreadnought trailer uh, from yeah. uh, last year. So I had the the privilege of being involved at the start of that one. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that process of like what it's like to pitch to a client. But let's circle yeah. back to that in a little bit. Can okay. you do you know like much about like how Real Time UK got started? You say you've been. Did you say how long you've been with with the company? I've been with Real Time for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're turning twenty one this year. So wow. that that is a, a pretty epic birthday. Yeah, uh, they started in mid '90s, and in, it was I think three people involved, and uh, they, it was just like your startup company, you know, in someone's room. And uh, through a lot of hard work and dedication, they managed to get an office, 
and then they got a bigger office, which is I think where we still are today. And uh, it just you know it is it, it's not there's not many VFX studios in this area of England, so we are kind of the, the beacon for Northern England. I also noticed real time does other than uh, game cinematics as well. They do a lot of uh, advertising and t- uh, you know and film and TV. Do you, are you involved in that process at all, or are you just on the game side? So um, we've always wanted to be part of the film industry, and that is something that we're working towards. Uh, recently, we've done some television work for uh, National Geographic. So you, you might have seen um, Year Million. In addition to games and advertising, we also do a lot of automotive work. So we have a dedicated team just for that. Cool. Do you ever actually kind of spread your wings and help out with the other side? Yeah, yeah. I, I get assigned to uh, some VW work for automotive. or uh, We even did like, um, like an internal thing for uh, Formula One. Like, you know, every year when they announce the F1 uh, cars, the liveries or deliveries, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the proper name, the decals that are on the cars, right? Yeah. So a bunch of passionate automotive guys here. It was uh, Carlos and uh, Chris, other Chris. Uh, they made like their own little short film. So it's just trying to guess what the F1 liveries are for this year. Mm-hmm. And they they released it just before the official release. And I was involved in uh, the comp- compositing and rendering side of that. So it was it was just a little passion project, you know, cool. between between the game cinematics and between their own automotive work. Do you find that working on that kind of stuff versus working on game cinematics is any different or the skills translate easily? You know, I think a lot of the skills are the same, you know, because it is still making something look good in CG, Mm -hmm. but it's a different mindset. Like, um, I personally prefer game cinematics, but you have a lot of people that don't like Mm -hmm. that. They prefer automotive. That's why we are on the teams we are, but we still, we still, you know, um, get involved with each other's workflow. Um, it's just automotive is a lot more technical, is a lot more precise. Game cinematics is a lot more, um, not necessarily creative, but you you can, you can float around some ideas a lot more. You know, you you don't have to be mechanically precise. You know, you, especially right. if you do sci- sci-fi or fantasy. So I just personally like that more, that extra freedom that gives you. Yeah. But you know, you'll get other people that love it when something is mathematically perfect and you get everything just the way it needs to be. Yeah, that makes sense. So, in fact, let's talk a little bit, if you can, about World of Tanks. So I know you guys have done a lot of videos for oh, those yeah. guys. Great game, too. I've played it quite a lot. My son loves it. And uh, you guys recently did one for the War Stories um, yes, that's update. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Were you heavily involved in, in that cinematic? Um, yeah, I did, I did do quite a bit of work on that one. So, um, yeah, we've been working with Wargaming for the past five years on uh, all their War tank, World of War Tanks, uh, World of Warships, World of Warplanes, you know, all their franchises. And mm-hmm. this year they said they, what they want to do is they want to move to more of a narrative-driven experience for World of Tanks. So, you know, in addition to all that progression that you're going through, there should be actual story scenarios. And not not necessarily historically accurate scenarios, but, you know, just like what if. So it's mm-hmm. like what if the Germans invaded london or you know what if what if england and russia fought over berlin or so and and it goes even beyond that like i'm i'm gonna let wargaming reveal that information as as they deem fit um the the purpose of this trailer was to show that alternate history you know throughout the 40s and 50s and 60s so um we we made i was also one of the initial pitchers for this uh again it was just simply what if World War II went in a totally different direction. 
Mm-hmm. So we went with a, a similar pitch where we're just portraying what, basically impossible things that didn't happen. And the, the, the challenge there is to, to deliver to the viewer the, the idea that this isn't actually historically accurate. You know? So we're trying to go for uh, monuments like, like uh, the Victorian t- Tower, Big Ben, you know, being destroyed with German tanks on the, on the bridge. Yeah. Just things that weren't there, but like here, what if that happened? Or the Cuban Missile Crisis, what if the nuke actually went off? So that's what this trailer was about, and hopefully it shows you that this, it's not, no longer just about shooting tanks at other tanks, but there's actually something deeper beyond this. Right. Yeah, the trailer looks great. I've seen it myself. And so can you talk a little bit about the pitch process? Like, what's that like? What do you do? What Do you do you walk in there with concept art on a on a an easel or, you know, how do you do it? Do you just bring a video in, like a, a previs right. or something? So it depends on the client. So sometimes they'll have an idea beforehand. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll even have a storyboard, you know, like a uh, drop zone trailer from last year. They had their own storyboard. We just had to kind of fit that around what we're doing. But for World of Tanks, they had some image concepts of their own. So they knew they want to do the alternate history thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wanted uh, ideas on how to portray that. So then we came up with a few ideas and, you know, one of them was the one that we went uh, forward with and it was showing uh, London Bridge, it was showing Berlin, it was showing the Cuban Missile Crisis. So we went back to them with some concepts of our own that respect the initial concept and brief from them in this case. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, also, one thing we do for some trailers, we didn't do it for for this one, but usually we'll, we'll make like a ripomatic. So it's like finding clips from films or from other game trailers. Okay. And, yeah. And just like fitting them together, not necessarily to say that these are the scenes, but this is the mood. You know. This yeah, is like the... a tone video. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we, could, we do that. We, we slap a piece of music on it as well. So that goes together with some concepts, with some pitches, and sometimes our written treatments get like a storyboard. Usually, if they mm-hmm. if they like the initial treatment, they'll choose between a few treatments. Like this is our favorite. Yeah. We'll give that a bit more attention, another you know overhaul and. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There there are some game studios that do that. When I worked at Midway, we did similar approaches. When we were coming up with game ideas, we'd do tone videos and things like that as well. And I think it's because yeah. a lot of the guys at, at Midway, some of them did come from a film background. There's a lot of bleed over between game studios and people working on cinematics and films. Like a lot of guys go back and forth between those industries. Yeah, it's also some of the freelancers we work with are people that will freelance for, you know, the big VFX houses. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, these days, the way game cinematics are made, it's pretty much the same talent pool that we draw from, you know, regardless yeah. of if you're making a movie or a game cinematic, it's the same. We're holding it to the same standard. Yeah, because there's a lot of the skills that, I mean, the skills are pretty much the same regardless of which industry yes. you're in. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So can you talk about some of the challenges you faced in making the cinematic for War Stories and, and you know, just challenges in general when you're creating cinematics for games? I mean, the, the big challenge for War Stories was to drive home the narrative point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, we love doing Wargaming trailers. We've done so many of them already, and we, we're always excited when we hear, well, Wargaming won something. But this time, it, it is the first time there was this this narrative element, so it was how to portray that. And um, we, we just went with the iconic buildings, you know, uh, London or Berlin or, or Cuba, I mean, there's no buildings in Cuba, but we had all those missiles. It was, it was, mm. it was the 60s. You know, you could tell yeah. what's happening. So that that was the challenge there, because we can't have characters. So it's all about how do you make tanks shooting at each other, 
represent right. something beyond just a skirmish. So we played with a few ideas. We played with the idea of showing it, you know, degrading the footage so it looks like the news, the news reels from the times. You know, people went to the cinema back in the 40s to get the, the latest news. So there was a certain look to the image. So we, we played around with that. Um, we, we did scans. Like, for example, the first scene is in Dover, England. So we sent a few people there to Dover and we scanned the street. So it's all authentic. Mm-hmm. So I guess if someone's from Dover, they might have freaked so out. So you like, use oh reality God. capture. Is it actually represented in the final cinematic or was it just yes. used for previous? No, it is. Yeah. It is actually. So the first scene in, uh, in daylight England is Dover. Uh-huh. And uh, we scanned that, and then we just had a matte painter sort of, you know, demodernize it. So take off sure. all the modern signs and just just make sure that it fits into the 40s. Um, as for the other scenes, it, it wasn't it wasn't scanned, but it was like a lot of reference, as you would do on any other trailer. That brings up an, a good question. Do you guys use a lot of photogrammetry when you're working? Mm, uh, we it was it's a recent development for us. So in the past few years, we've started doing that and. We're seeing that this is going to be more and more a big part of how we can get assets. Mm-hmm. So there's also the Mega Scans library online that we get. Right. You know. Yeah. So that that that's for little props, you know, like little stones or sticks or or trees. And we this is this is growing into something very exciting because you save so much time just mm-hmm. getting that stuff out. And um, one of our artists here, John. John Clayton loves photography and loves doing his own little photogrammetry stuff. So we just keep sending him everywhere to capture objects and see what we can achieve with that. So why don't we talk a little bit about the tools that you guys use on a day-to-day basis? So we're mainly a 3D Studio Max uh, studio. Um, We also use uh, ZBrush for our modeling, uh, Mari and Substance Painter for our texturing. Uh, Within 3D Studio Max, we render using V-Ray. And mm-hmm. we do all our compositing in Nuke. Um, some of our effects artists have switched to using Houdini. So we used to do fume effects for smoke simulations and such. Now, nowadays, it's uh, a lot of Houdini that is brought into Max using Alembic caches. Mm-hmm. Since V-Ray 3.4, I think it was 3.4, we can render out these uh, caches in V-Ray very easily. You just put them in there and they yeah. get all the GI, they get all that stuff, and it just sits in the scene before that, you had to light it separately, and it was quite annoying. Mm-hmm. And so 3ds Max is used for cre- um, basically creating the scene, right? Like putting everything together, lighting, and then yeah. rendering it out. So that is our base package. Uh, right. That's where we assemble everything. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the basic workflow in 3ds Max? Like when you're setting a scene up and all that and preparing it? So we usually start with some concepts either from the client or some stuff that we do ourselves here. And uh, um, we have a basic animatic that we do at the start of all trailers. So -hmm. that's just very rough, just, you know, planes, boxes, uh, just super simple models. If the client provides us with in-game models, we'll just break them apart and use them there. So this is to get the first stage out, you know, to sort of portray what the trailer will be. And then uh, that gets handed over to uh, scene dev. So scene dev is our assembly team where they assemble models that our modelers have done in the meantime, right? So while we do mm-hmm. the animatic, modelers create the actual assets. In 3ds Max. So They're putting them yes. together with Max, yeah. Yeah, 3ds Studio Max and ZBrush. Okay. That's pretty much what they use And, and they're that. using ZBrush basically for high-res details. Yeah, yeah. And anything organic. Or anytime you've got to, you know, degrade an object, damage a tank, or okay. 
you know, all that stuff that gets cleaned up and sculpted there. That comes back into the Max. We got our scene dev guys that assemble the scenes. Uh, in the meantime, our animators are, you know, are rigging and animating the assets, which again, scene dev have to put in the scene as well. Once that works, and again, that, that's another stage of approval, that comes over to the finishing artists, uh, like myself, and uh, we just get to put the lights in. Like, we light it, we, we check that everything works, we make sure there's no clipping in the animation, we make sure that the textures all work, and uh, just render it out, and uh, comp it in Nuke. And so, since you're a finishing artist, you handle the lighting and stuff, I assume you, you'd use, like, HDR image probes and... And you work with uh, making sure all the gamma is correct on the textures and whatnot. Yes. So uh, there's also a look dev process that happens. And we have look dev artists that sometimes I'm also involved in look dev. Mm -hmm. It's making sure exactly like you said, the gamma is correct, that the textures work. But that's also a part of the finishing artists as well. So when you have a shot assigned to you, it's your responsibility to make sure that all the assets are correct. So even if they've gone through look dev, you, you have to make sure that this yeah. is all perfectly fine. Some you know, overlap it's, it's, there, yeah. Yes, yes. So it's, it's not like as dedicated as you might expect in sure. other places. But uh, yeah, we, we use um, HDRIs for lighting. It's usually a combination of HDRI, V-Ray Sun, and okay. uh, several yeah. practical lights You know that you had to throw around the scene just to get what you want. Right, just like in the real world with film, you've got to have like some extra lights and stuff to light your hero characters and whatnot. Yeah. You, when you see making ups for films, you always see a bunch of people running around with these big uh, tinfoil yeah, cards. Yeah, reflectors around. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, so we get that as well. Like sometimes I'll parent lights to animated objects. Like if, if you have, say, a tank in War Stories, I've got some tanks in the night shots on, uh, on London Bridge. They're driving through smoke. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got several rim lights that are moving along with the tanks to make sure they're always rim lit by the moon. Okay. Uh, Stuff or some you got static lights for fires, you know, but there's always an HDRI just giving you all the nice bounce and reflection everywhere. And when we render these out, we always uh, add render elements. So where we select each light is on its own render element. So then in post, when you're in Nuke, you can you can tweak all the lights, you can subtract lights, add lights, you know, all that stuff. Okay, cool. It's a lot. Of, a lot of times you'll you'll have a rendered file and you think it it looks pretty good, and then director says, um, well. Let's just have more rim lighting on that tank there, or let's mm-hmm. just have less on that barrel there. So, because we've gone ahead and had our light selects, um, you know, prepared in 3D Studio Max, we can just do that in a matter of seconds in new. Yeah, rather than rendering the whole thing out again. Exactly. Yeah. Also, we render out at, at like low settings for a while, you know, like right. draft settings, right. a few passes, make sure everything has the correct motion blur, everything sits in nicely, and then. There's a point where we have to decide, okay, let's go with uh, production settings now. So that's an expensive render. So yeah. when, you, yeah. when you send that to the farm, you kind of want to get all your bases covered. So you, you use all the render elements that you can, you know, reflection, spec, refraction, multi-mats, you know, just, just in case, just in mm-hmm. case we need to tweak one thing or another. Awesome. Well, that's a lot of great detail, a lot of information there that uh, I know my audience will appreciate. So... Last of all, you did mention you used Mudbox before our interview. Can oh, yeah. you tell me a little bit what you use Mudbox for? I mean, I know what so, Mudbox is for, but like, what do you guys use it for? Yeah, so um, the reason I personally prefer Mudbox is just because it's easy to use. Like, I'm not a dedicated modeler in real mm-hmm. time, so a lot of times I'll just use it to tweak uh, existing assets. Or te- we, we also texture using UDIMs, which means you right. have 
a texture for one asset spread across multiple UV tiles. Yeah. And I find Modbox is very easy to... It's very easy with Modbox to just make use of that, to just uh, texture across these tiles. Mm-hmm. Um, for look dev process as well, like I'll import the textures that the modders have done already and just tweak them in Modbox. Um, I just like that it's so easy to use. Yeah, Whereas yeah. If, I were, if I were to use ZBrush, I'd spend a lot more time getting used to the interface and all the different processes. Yeah. But <clears throat> it's like it was created by someone from another planet. It's definitely... That's what I always say. Yeah. I always <laughs> it's like it's for Martians, man. Like, yeah. It is incredible what you do with it, but I don't, I don't have the time to dedicate to just master that. So for what I need to do, Mudbox is just perfect. Cool. I also noticed you guys did a trailer for Dreadnoughts, and I, I got that game on PlayStation 4, which is a great game. I'm a huge fan of... Um, space fighter games and space sim games and things like that can you talk a little bit about the creation of the dreadnoughts trailer yeah definitely so a lot of us here at real time are also big sci-fi fans and the thing that dreadnought does differently is it actually portrays you know big scale warfare Mm -hmm. so it's not just like little ships it's not just little ships you know flying around shooting little lasers like these massive behemoths and it actually embraces slow big crawling dreadnoughts yeah, you so, know, that's that's funny you mention that because that's one of my, like, when I used to watch the original Star Trek and the Star Trek movies and then uh, Star Wars, I always liked how the big ships moved like like big yes. ships should move, right? And then the new yes. Star Trek came out, Next Generation, and all of a sudden they were all flying around like fighters, and it just never felt right to me. It is, it is the, the freedom of CG sometimes gives you too much freedom, you know. And, yeah. Uh, back in, the, you know, the old films, uh, they really... They gave the ship screen time, like you had a one-minute tracking shot of a massive ship. You know, mm-hmm. they they just don't think people have the patience for that these days. But I think Dreadnought shows that you do you do have the patience. I mean, just controlling this massive carrier and having all these weapons and systems, on, and it's just fun. It doesn't you don't have to get there real quick. You know. Yeah. And this is what Dreadnought proves. Uh, well, we got involved with them uh, because they, they liked some of our World of Tanks trailers. They liked our War Thunder trailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have much sci-fi stuff in our bag at the time. So this was very, very nice to get. A uh, very nice opportunity to to grab this trailer. And uh, we made a few pitches uh, based on what they wanted. They, they didn't have their own idea for this, but they did want us to um, to really push the idea of a team team tactical victory so it's not just like someone going in like rambo and getting the kill it's like every because it's 5v5 it's showing you know the five ships kind of working together showcasing each ship type so we really focused on that and um they 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 went with the pitch that you saw in the trailer which is basically showing how one team by using their skills correctly can overcome the other team yeah and in that game it's also kind of a, a combination of like you said, the team effort, it's the, each ship has its specialties and whatnot. Yes, yes. So you got your scout, which even as a scout, if you compare it to most other ships from other games, it's massive. It's like right. the Corvettes, basically. You'd think it's like four people in it, but there's like 60 people. Mm-hmm. The, the people at Jaeger, the developers of the game, sent us some very detailed concepts. And, um, and you know, they, they really went the extra mile with this. They, they, they treated it like an engineering project. Every ship has you know, proper modules and like there'll be bays with there's 40 people there, there's 80 people there and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So we had to portray the scale of that, you know, without actually showing the viewers a blueprint of the ship. Right. Uh, that, but there was a lot of fun and it's just figuring out the best thing that each ship is, you know, I mean, what, what is each ship for? 
Mm-hmm. So you, you had your healer, you had your sniper. So we really hammered down on the speciality of each ship and their weaknesses as well. You kind of had to portray each ship as an, an actual, like a character in the game, right? Yeah. Like even yeah, though it's, a, it's an inanimate object, it's, a, it's not a living thing, you still have to kind of do that when you're creating a cinematic. Yeah, basically, yeah. When, when we're doing tank trailers or, or, you know, Dreadnought, when we don't have characters, you will assign personalities to these, these objects, basically. They will have, this one's aggressive, this one's evasive, you know, this one's uh, fast, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, every, everything has a driven purpose. So it's like, what does this thing want to do? That's what it wants to do. Therefore, that's what we're portraying. Cool. Well, I think you guys nailed it. Uh, I mean, it was definitely one of the reasons why I bought the game. I, I awesome. just, you know, I like the concept of the game, but watching the trailer definitely made me throw down the money. <laughs> that's amazing to hear. Thank. Glad you liked yeah. it. So good job. <laughs> Thank you. So do you have any tips for aspiring CG artists out there? Anyone that's, you know, interested in getting into making cinematics or or even if they're already in cinematics, any like pro tips that you can offer them? Well, I think what's important with this is to be very passionate about what you do. So regardless of if you want to get into this or if you're already doing this and you just want more, um, I recommend that you always have something that you do for yourself. Like don't just come into don't just clock into work nine to five and then go home and do something else like have your own side project have something that drives you so just push yourself further right like if, if you're not doing enough of what you want to do at work if all you do is model cars you really want to make a spaceship go home make a spaceship show it to people so the mm-hmm. best way to get into the industry or to advance through the industry is just make yourself known right mm-hmm. even if you're the best artist if people don't see your work you're not going to get a job yeah, you have to so, take control of your own destiny. You have more control yes. over your own destiny than you realize. Only you can, exactly. I mean, b- back back in my day, and I didn't think I'd say that, but yeah, back in my day, there used to be like these forum communities, you know, online. Like mm-hmm. CG Society had one or three yep. total. So that's where I used to hang out and make friends and make contacts. And we had all these contests, like the weekly modeling contest. And these are still happening online. You just have to look out for them. Yeah. So that that is a very nice place to kind of... Just do small scale projects. Yeah, and, and I saw from a previous interview you you have some kind of connection with 3D Total. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, because that's where I started out. That was my first 3D community, so I just I just stuck around and mm-hmm. uh, I'm involved in the day to day daily news, you know, on 3D Total. So any new trailers that come out or any new showreels or making ofs, I'll put them on the 3D Total front page and make sure people see it. So it is very important to get that out there. Um, one thing, if you, if you want to get some nice tips on uh, the industry or you know, how, to, how to get into the industry, our, our Pete Leonard from, from Real Time here has made a very nice AMA on Reddit a few weeks ago. So just check that out. It's on our website. Awesome. So thanks, Chris Scoobly, for being with us today and uh, telling us a little bit about your job in the day-to-day and what it is to be a CG artist creating cinematics for games. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Matthew. It was great. Yeah, definitely. So can you tell the audience, are there any ways that they can reach out to you, like on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? Uh, I don't personally have a Twitter, but if you just uh, contact us on our real-time Facebook, I'm one step away from that. Our uh, marketing master, Zoe, is on top of Facebook. So any questions for me or for real time, we're always there. We do have the real time Twitter. So just check us on Twitter for that. And that's what at real time UK or. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. Okay. 
oh, I, I'd like to think that we're very open with the community. So just give us a shout and we're right on it. Great. And so the the website for Realtime UK, that's realtimeuk.com. If you want to check out the War Stories video, you can find that at realtimeuk.com slash video slash war dash stories. That's a great little trailer. Go check it out. All right. Well, thanks again, Chris. Uh, we really appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks, Matthew. All the best. You've been listening to the Autodesk Game Dev Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more stories like this at area.autodesk.com or subscribe to Game Dev on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADSK Game Dev or follow the Autodesk Game Dev Facebook page.